I have my own opinions on this, but who do you think is the weirdest person at Copyblogger? Hmm. Outwardly or actually? Let's say actually. Actually, probably me. But outwardly, yeah, I was going to say Brian. No question. But outwardly, you with that thing on your face. I don't know. A thing on my <laughs> face. Oh, you mean my beard? Uh, immortal beard. Mr. Yeah. Amateur Recluse. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to go pro, but then, of course, I'll have to send people over to your house periodically to make sure you're still alive. It's such a hassle. Yeah, when that happens, you'll never hear from me again. So, <laughs> Welcome, y'all, to yet another episode of Internet Marketing for Smart People Radio. I am Robert Bruce, and I'm joined today by Sonia Simone and Brian Clark. How are the two of you feeling today? Are you... Uh, are you ready to get weird? Absolutely. I was You're just pretty in, freaky. Yeah. Yeah. I was in uh, Tampa with a bunch of crazy SEOs and internet marketers at the Blue Glass Conference and talk about a weird group, but that's why they're really good at what they do. <laughs> well, I heard it was particularly weird on the uh, flight home. It was only weird in the sense that uh, I was in first class, which I don't normally fly because I'm too cheap. And I'm just surrounded by guys in suits with Dell laptops. So they're all lawyers, basically. And I'm wearing, you know, shorts and sandals and my hair sticking up every which way. And I open up my Mac and I'm like, I could be an Apple ad right now. (laughs) (laughs) Nice job, CEO. Yeah, exactly. All right. So our pal Seth Godin has written another book. This one is titled... We Are All Weird, The Myth of Mass and the End of Compliance, and it's published through his uh, Domino Project. He's calling it a manifesto of the end of the mass market. He says mass, as in mass market, is dead, and here comes the weird. He defines weird as anything that is not normal, anything that flies in the face of the culture of mass, and he calls weird an opportunity. On the other hand, he makes the case that normal or mass is no longer a strategy. So we're not going to be able to cover nearly everything in this few minutes that we have, but let's go over some of the most interesting points from his book. So first we'll talk a little bit about weirdness as he defines it or the the fragmentation of culture. And then we'll get into what uh, this means for marketers. So Sonia, you have pink hair, which um, I think qualifies you to discuss Seth's idea of weirdness here. Well, it's peculiar because when this book came out, I remember that a couple of years ago, I wrote in an email that the long tail is just the collection of everybody on the internet who is weird in the same way that you are. So I'm glad to find out that Seth Godin has finally caught up with my mighty thought leadership on this important <laughs> issue. But yeah, I mean, it's it's been there for a while, and now it's starting to become very visible. And Godin, you know, Godin makes a lot of comparisons with something that's been dead for a long time, which is that mid-20th century mass market where a handful of companies supported by three channels, all of you out there who are 19 are just going to, like, you're minds are going to implode (laughs) the idea that there used to be three television channels. And if you didn't like what was on too freaking bad, like go mow the lawn, that was your option. And so that was the era of Wonder Bread. And Wonder Bread is, you know, the icon of that period of time. It was exactly uniform. Every kid in America ate this kind of terrible, overly processed white bread, which probably 
this would completely destroyed our health as a nation. Now, I mean, I'm not 100% sure Wonder Bread is still in business. But like my family, you know, I eat this crazy stuff called Ezekiel bread, which is made out of like sprouted grains. Yeah, Sam buys that too. Wow. It's awesome. So it's for like weirdos like me who want super whole grain stuff and like flour is the enemy. Um, My kid eats Udi's gluten-free bread. So that's made by a local bakery that has been assisted by um, Whole Foods, which is a tremendous friend of the weird in that kind of space. Uh, My husband eats Whole Foods baguettes that are baked by like cute little French people who Whole Foods imports to the United States to bake good bread. And if Wonder Bread is still on the shelves, it's fighting for space with lots of other Me Too products positioned in all different kinds of ways. And then lots of bona fide, you know, niche weirdo products for strange people who like strange things. And and that's what he means in a nutshell by the, the death of the mass. Mass is no longer, you know, more than half of the population. Um, mass still exists. And we're going to talk about that because in a couple of ways, mass really still exists. But more and more, you can't really command 50, 60, 70, 80 percent of the market anymore in, in most spaces. It's just not going to happen. Unless you're Google. Or Apple. <laughs> Good. And there's Two exceptions where, that we will discuss. <laughs> yeah, there's where the argument kind of. But, you know, I want to talk about that because just because you can find exceptions to the argument does not mean you as a business owner are going to get to be Google or Apple. I mean, you can try and bless you for yeah. it. But We're talking about proprietary technology, intellectual pop, you know, property patents. You know, that is the last bastion of protection for any sort of mass. Now, of course, Google you know, will end up probably declared a monopoly at some point. And you know, Apple's getting assaulted on all sides. We'll just see you know, what happens. Uh, the, the bad thing about Apple is a lot of what they do can be learned from and replicated but a lot of people have failed. You know, Microsoft has done it repeatedly. Um, some of the tablet competitors are already gone. Can you believe it? It's just like, come out, fail totally. Okay, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah, and he brings up the reasons why, you know, kind of the rise of weirdness. And one of the, one of the things that he talks about specifically is as wealth and productivity compound, the weirdness comes on hot and heavy. And we've seen that in the last couple of years. So, uh, wealth in general, especially in the culture that the three of us live in, and then productivity uh, specifically as brought by the internet. And one of the examples he uses is uh, artists selling their stuff on Etsy. Uh, artists that you would never ever see, or you know, it goes back to the same example: the the, the bread uh, that you would never ever have an opportunity to even know about, much less eat, uh, is now a block away. Yeah, and Etsy is a great example of, and it's, you know, Etsy is a tough space because you're, you are in the world's biggest flea market with thousands and thousands of other people who make handmade hats or scarves or skirts or jewelry. But nonetheless, that marketplace exists. You don't have to pay some kind of, you know, $100 a day booth fee. You get your stuff, you put your pictures up, and and actually that's a very interesting place where the model can break down because I think a lot of people think, well, the marketplace exists, right? eBay, Etsy, um, these spaces exist, Amazon now for, for writers. You know, this marketplace exists. I'm just going to put my stuff up. I don't need marketing because we're in the world of the weird. Okay, no, mm. you know? Mm. Um, 
That's a good point, Sonia, because when you really think about this book, it's a shorter version of Purple Cow, right? The same story being told differently. It's It's a play on modern positioning and being remarkable to the right people. And I think the difference between today and what he was saying in Purple Cow is maybe Seth didn't realize that you, you know, you, you got to be a purple cow bare minimum to make it, not necessarily to become one of the few mass market success stories because the, the definition of, of a really big market has shrunk so drastically. And I think that just accelerated. And that's why we have this new take on what's a classic problem, which is how do I position myself so that people resonate with my product and with me? And now we have this kind of one-to-one world marketplace. And whether it's within uh, the Kindle section of Amazon or iBooks, yes. And, and there's lots of people out there doing well selling eBooks, but they'll tell you it's a lot of marketing. It's almost more marketing than it is book. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you a little sidebar on that. The thing I think of most with this stuff is the the generation that we just came out of and then as opposed to what we're going into. So let's give it another five years to really let this stuff ramp up, this this idea of weirdness and the fragmentation of, of culture. But the question I have is, will there ever be another Aerosmith, for example? Will, w- w- is it possible that there will ever exist in history another U2? Success on that scale in this Ooh. quote weird world. Can I, can I answer this one? I, I actually think, think about this. I think about this all the time because you know, okay, so Nirvana's Nevermind turned 20 years old last weekend. Gosh, poor Gen Xers, we are getting up there, aren't we? Let me go get my cane. Exactly. But and I, I kind of give the young people today a hard time because I do listen to indie rock by 19-year-olds and 21-year-olds. And there's great stuff out there. I can always hear the influences, though. So I'm, I have these two theories that, number <laughs> one, there are no – there's nothing ever new. Like rap was really kind of the last form of music. And, of course, that was inspired by all sorts of things that came before, just like the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin were inspired by American blues music, right? So you've always had these uh, derivations. But now the kids today are combining genres or styles that were from the 80s. That's not exactly a long time ago in the grand scheme of things, right? So there's that. But the other thing is, no matter what, there will never be another Nirvana Nevermind. That literally changed the face of music because that was the end of mass, right? I mean, that was at the tail end where I listened, driving down the freeway on my way to law school in 91, and on your typical corporate rock channel, I hear Smells Like Teen Spirit. I knew the world had changed right then. Right. But it's never going to happen again. I mean, now we have alternative mainstream channels. What's alternative mainstream? Yeah. <laughs> That's meaningless. It's silly. Only a guy in a suit would think of that. Yeah. Have you seen any uh, Spotify playlists lately? I mean, there's just no, uh, from one person to the next, uh, there's just almost, you know, you got the same interest, you got the same stuff, especially for older folks like us. But those playlists are so unique. Yeah. And it's great for a music fan like me, but at the same time, it's, it's so obscure. Yeah. You know, and, and there are people out there who only like the obscure, um, but there's no trigger anymore. Back when 
Jane's Addiction, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, all of those were bands that I listened to before they broke. And then they broke huge and changed, you know, the way people think about popular music. But we no longer have that mechanism. It doesn't exist. So my long drawn out answer is I don't think it'll ever happen again. Hmm. Because, because we don't have to all listen to the same radio station anymore. Right. And that's why that used to work is every once in a while something, you know, like Nirvana or the Beatles, something that was really brain bending would get on to popular radio where there was one venue where every one big watering hole where everybody came to listen to, you know, music for young people. And if you could get something really weird and innovative on there, it would become a hit. Um, we don't have that anymore. Everybody's kind of, you know, splintered and fragmented out into their own Pandora accounts and Spotify. And and so now, you know, sort of commute radio has completely devolved into, you know, Wonder Bread music product that's um, produced scientifically, but that has become a niche audience. Even it's a big like, audience. Yeah, even the Jack FM thing, which was basically conceived of as a DJ-less iPod on shuffle, right? It's just a random mix of songs from all sorts of decades, all sorts of genres. Basically, though, stuff our generation, they were mainly targeting Generation X, would find cool, even if you would never own Donna Summer's anything, you still didn't Dude, mind hearing that tune, don't right? Don't the Donna Summer's. Okay, <laughs> now you, that's me. But I, I enjoy the occasional Donna Summer, but uh, I would not purchase Donna Summer, right? But that, Jack FM is the most calculated playlist ever made based on yeah. data they just and they get it right and we were like oh that's so random no it's not random at all but <laughs> again that was a mass medium trying to adapt much like sony's post today adapt or die and yet even now they're not going to make it right because we don't have to turn into jack for that we got spotify we got yeah. pandora we have so much choice there is no chance that we're ever all going to agree on anything again. And, and we can lament the lack of uh, a shared culture because, you know, when we were kids, you could talk about something from Saturday Night Live to a band to a movie that mm -hmm. we had all pretty much seen. And like when you met someone who hadn't seen Star Wars, you're like, are you kidding me? You know, but that's pretty much how everything is going to be from now on. And when you do find people who have a shared cultural experience with you, you're going to bond with them much tighter, regardless of the typical, you know, things that keep us apart, like race and religion and ethnicity and, and all this kind of stuff. Now, when you do find someone that bonds uh, with something that you really love, as far as an album or a movie, you kind of stick together and forget your differences to a certain degree. And that's what Godin's saying. He's saying... Tap into that because that's the new emotional resonance. That's the new bond that forms tribes, communities, audiences, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, and he brings it back, Seth brings it back, stating that uh, the biggest impact that the internet and tech in general have made is this, this personal impact that you can make on your own culture, your own tribe. And the flip side of the coin that we've been talking about is that 40 years ago, uh, breaking through, he, he uses the example of Van Gogh, which I think is a, a fantastic example. Sold one, I can't remember if it was sold, yeah, he sold one painting. One painting in his lifetime. In his lifetime. 
And imagine if a Van Gogh had the power of the internet, of course, is the, the bottom line. So there is a, a flip side to this. There is a, a, a positive. There's a lot of positive, obviously. But are marketers screwed then in this brave, weird world? Well, this is what Sonia always calls the death of the middle because you're going to have huge multinationals with cash and resources and, and IP that – make them huge and, and true global companies. And then small business is going to thrive. Um, everything from the individual to, you know, all the way up to the 100-person firm, that's a small company. Everyone in the middle of those two is, is going to have a really hard time because they're not small and nimble enough to be weird uh, and really bond with an audience segment or multiple segments. You know, smart companies are going to learn to segment much better so that if you, if you have a somewhat kind of commodity product that's useful to a lot of different people, really you just have to learn to talk to different groups of people differently. And, and some companies do that very well, a lot don't. And guess what? Hey, that, you know, mass media advertisers, that's direct marketing, knowing how to tailor a message to a particular audience in a particular vertical or whatever. So a lot of what we've been talking about on Copyblogger, it's just the way it is thanks to this fragmentation of culture. You have to know who you're talking to and you have to split off and address these other people completely differently. There is no more one-size-fits-all messaging. Yeah, I want to talk about, um, we have a couple of companies we want to talk about because you mentioned that you know the massive players and then the niche players, there is nowhere you see this probably more as strongly or more strongly than in the, the beer industry. So you have the major heavy hitters, Coors, Budweiser, and that other one. Um, <laughs> what is the other one? There's another one. Schlitz? I don't know. There's another one. There's three big brewers, and they um, they sell like 98% or some crazy number yeah. of the beer sold in the United States. Um, this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about, messaging, but it's really – it gets to people when they realize, you know, who makes Blue Moon. Right. Right. So you have this craft beer movement, which is really passionate and really exciting. And it's the U.S. is still the um, most advanced in the world in the craft beer movement. It's very interesting to go to Belgium where all the great beer used to come from. And they're sort of like, oh, well, we started putting hops in our beer. It's kind of weird. So the microbrew movement, powerful, passionate, perfect for social media. Classic weirdos, okay? Classic people who completely reject the normal mainstream, have a, a lot of contempt for the big breweries. So what does our friend Coors do? Very smart company here in Colorado. Very savvy, actually surprisingly nimble company. They create a story called the Blue Moon Brewery. The Blue Moon Brewing Company is, I think, what they call it. They create a fiction of this little microbrewery in Colorado that brews a microbrew that just happens to have distribution everywhere that your normal Coors and Budweiser have distribution. That's interesting. And more to the point, it tastes a lot more like Coors than it tastes like a microbrew. And so you think, well, this is a big problem, right? People are going to taste this and find out that it's fake and they're not going to choose it. The truth is, a lot of consumers want the taste, the palatable light lager, that sort of very unthreatening taste 
of a mainstream beer, but they want the story of a microbrewer. They want to be cool and hip and, you know, non-obvious and, and cutting edge. It's like my, my aged t-shirt thing, right? Yeah. You know, Target is more than willing to sell you an old looking Coca-Cola shirt so you can be cool and ironic. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it works. Uh, and, and I think the reason that it works is because Coors are not a big dumb company. They're a big smart company. And they looked at the customer and they talked to the customer and the customer said, oh, I really love the microbrew. I just wish it sort of didn't taste so funny and strong. Um, <laughs> it tastes so European. It tastes so, you know, and they make a little face, right? It's so you know? cloudy. Um, my dad, my dad was a, um, he's a, he teaches sommelier in New York city and he used to run single malt scotch tastings when single malt scotch got, Mm. you know, was first like a cool thing that nobody had ever heard of. And he would always do blind tastings and he would always include a mainstream blended scotch in with the single malt tastings. Well, that scotch (coughs) always came in first every single time. That was the taste that people actually wanted. They just wanted the storyline of the single malt. I don't say this to like depress everybody, but what I, but what you do have to realize is, you got to actually deliver what people want with the story that they think they want, um, and that can be kind of deceptive. And I think Blue Moon is goes into deceptive. I mean, there's nowhere on the bottle of a Blue Moon beer that says brewed by the Molson Coors Company, or it can just be a matter of understanding that. You can't sell broccoli ice cream, you know. Nobody's that weird, okay? Whole yeah, Foods does okay. not have a broccoli ice cream aisle. And I think this is an interesting thing here because we do have our own taste and just eclecticness to a certain degree, but a lot of people want to appear eclectic but can't really live it, you know? I mean, they, right. they really are. They, they kind of go along with other people. Now, again, Godin has some great bell curve charts in his book that show, you know, the idea of normal or consensus reality, if you will, keep shrinking, right? So maybe we're just in a process to where people truly will only grav- gravitate to the truly authentic. But I don't know. Human beings have been living stories mm-hmm. since we since we were in the cave, you know. So yeah. I, it's really hard to make – I mean, I know – I think the three of us are very – eclectic and diverse in our taste, but we're also students of human nature. And, you know, again, a lot of it is about the story we're telling about ourselves. I want to do a lightning round on this topic right now. I'm going to give each of you, let's see, I'm going to give each of you 40 seconds. Sonia, go. Okay. The internet means you can now find the people who are weird the same way you are. So you need to get out there and do it. You need to really think about what you're saying how you're saying it, what kind of story you're telling. Keep your eyes open, keep paying attention, and keep talking. Um, This is your age, so don't worry too much about Blue Moon. Don't worry too much about Apple. Worry about what you're going to do and how you're going to find your people. Um, Because they're out there and they're waiting for you, and this is an opportunity that's not going to last forever. Brian, you're up. This is really just the latest spin and... Uh, the evolution, and, and some would argue it's always been this way to a certain degree. Ben and Jerry's, The Grateful Dead. I mean, weird has always had a place, but uh, weird in the way that Seth is talking about it is about bonding with someone because you're like them. 
And again, we, we know these big companies make up stories, but trust me, if you're a smaller company or a solo entrepreneur, finding that aspect of yourself that's a little offbeat and positioning around that, I've seen it succeed wildly time and time again online. We're going to link to some of our classic positioning articles to give you foundational thoughts but what's inside of you or your product or your company that you're like, should I talk about this? Maybe you should, because that may be the thing. And speaking of finding yourself, uh, this show is sponsored by Internet Marketing for Smart People. It is the premier course delivered straight to your email inbox covering nearly all aspects of internet marketing that matter. Content marketing, got it. Email marketing, covered. SEO basics, no problem. Social media, it's in there. Sonia, who can benefit from signing up to the Internet Marketing for Smart People course? I think anybody who's listening to this and telling themselves, okay, the weird part I got covered, it's the marketing part that's a little bit of a stumbling block. It's how to take that message, how to take that distinctiveness, how to take that very much outside the mainstream and find the right people for it and get the message across. And that's really, and so it's just a very complete but manageable course on how do you do it. Maybe we should rename it How to Be Weird Profitably. Ooh. <laughs> Domain name searches in progress. <laughs> I think I did, hear, I did hear some typing there. Yeah, and also, <laughs> nobody mentioned here that this is completely, entirely, 100% free. To sign up, uh, just head over to copyblogger.com slash IMFSP and drop your email address into the little box. We are going to take care of the rest for you. That's copyblogger.com slash IMFSP. Okay, we have, my friends, about five minutes here. And Brian brought up the idea of positioning. We've been talking about it all along. But how does this weirdness reality factor into the all-important strategy of positioning? You know, one of my favorite stories, and we always go back to these classic copywriting guys like Claude Hopkins, and and the day he, uh, speaking of beer, since we've been talking about beer, and this airs on a Friday, I guess we'll get everyone in the mood for the weekend. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he visits the Schlitz plant, they're number five in the market, you know, they need help, and they show him the water purification process, and how they go through all these steps to have the purest water possible. And he's like, this is it. This is the story. And, and they're like, everyone does this. And he's like, yes, but no one talks about it. And that's a really old school thing, and it's hard to do that anymore. But think about it. What are the things everyone knows in your industry, in your field, but no one talks about because it's weird or, you know, we're not sure, you know. A lot of people have positioned themselves strongly on the whole concept of giving away the inside secrets or whatever. But now we kind of call that transparency. So the, the struggle is, <laughs> the struggle is how do you choose the right way to, to pull back the curtain on the wizard so that people, they, they're attracted to you. They like you. They feel like you share the same worldview. The, the flip side of that, of course, is just going directly to the audience and matching up elements of yourself or aspects of your persona in, in the psychological sense to them. And again, wildly successful to a lot of people. Um, you just have to be careful. If you're trying to build a brand that's beyond you, it's dangerous to make it too much about you. 
but it's been done before where the quirkiness of the founders is translated into the brand and it resonates and they're probably off sitting by their pools right now, not really worrying about it. Thanks everybody for tuning in today. If you love us at all, please. <laughs> he's, starting to, he's, he's like got this great delivery and voice. And he's like, I'm just trying not to sound desperate now. Even if you think we're kind of like kind of cute. Yeah, kind of yeah, cute, kind of sexy, kind of weird even. How, <laughs> please help us out by heading over to iTunes and giving us a rating over there. You can even comment. Uh, you can rate right now. We're only accepting five-star ratings. So if you're, <laughs> oh, if you're disappointed with this show at all, you're just going to have to wait until we open that up for you again. But five stars over at iTunes. We'd love it. Uh, Ms. Simone, Mr. Clark, you have done it again. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Robert. Just waking up in the morning, gotta thank God. I don't know, but today seems kind of odd. No barking from the dog, no smoke. And mama cooked the breakfast with no hug. I got my grub on, but didn't dig out. Finally got a call from a girl with a dig out. Hooked it up for later as I hit the dope. Thinking, will I live another 24? I got me a drop top And if I hit the switch I can make the ass drop Had to stop at a red light Looking in my mirror Not a jacker in sight And everything is all right I got a beat from Kim And she can do it all night Called up the homies And I'm asking y'all Which part are y'all playing basketball? Get me on the court And I'm troubled Last week messed around And got a triple